This is Beyond the Culture. Let's go. Today we're going to do another take two. You know, take two is where we take a look back into a previously recorded episode where our guests left us with some phenomenal insight, some information, some thought-provoking ideas and suggestions, principles for better living that we had to rehear and rebroadcast. So today I have two, two episodes that I want you to hear. But before we get to that, first, I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in each and every week. We want to thank you for watching our show on YouTube, and I want to thank you for listening to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, for those of you who are watching or listening, and you're not a regular, please hit the subscribe button so you can be notified each and every week when a brand new episode is uploaded on iTunes. You can also go to our YouTube channel and subscribe there. And every time I upload a new video, you can see it. So again, I wanna thank each and every one of you for listening to the broadcast. Now in this first Take Two episode, I have a conversation with Dr. Will Moreland. Now in that episode, he provides two key things for us that we took home. Number one, he said, everybody needs disruptors in their lives. Disruptors help you when you're on the wrong road to get back on the right road. And he talks about three disruptors in his life that helped him to get off the wrong road and on the right one. And then, of course, he talked about that every one of us have a genius potential. What is the genius potential? The genius potential is a gift that we all have to succeed, to prosper, to achieve, and be the person that we are supposed to be. So let's go in. Let's listen to my conversation with Dr. Will Moreland. And the name of this episode was Discover Your Genius with Dr. Will Moreland. Take two. So, so tell us, um, all right, you, you've shared your experience about Compton and meeting your dad. And after those experiences, where did that lead you? Where did you go from there? Yeah, so um, I would say from the time I was 14 to the time I was 18, I had um, some, real, some real struggles. I was struggling with my relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. And so that led me at the age of 14 to leave my house. And so I was on my own at the age of 14, kind of ran the streets, lived here, lived there. And then um, fortunately and unfortunately, uh, at the age of 18, I got arrested. Okay. And uh, this was a, well, this was several, many arrests, but this was the last time right. I got arrested. And um, I, I got arrested, but this was a unique time because I was in front of a judge and I called this gentleman the first disruptor in my life. Mm. And as I was standing in front of this judge, he looked at me and he said, Mr. Moreland, you're headed nowhere fast. You're headed nowhere fast. I need you to convince me 
why I shouldn't put you in one of our nice facilities here in California, AKA jail. <laughs> and he said, this is what I'm gonna do for you. He says, I'm gonna allow you to leave my court, but I want you to return to my courtroom in two weeks and tell me what you're gonna do with your life. And you need to convince me why I shouldn't put you in one of our nice facilities. I left that courtroom not knowing what I was gonna do. I walked around the city of Los Angeles for those two weeks and about three to four days before I was supposed to go back to court, I absolutely had no clue what I was gonna tell this judge. Mentally, Dr. D, I was preparing to go to jail because mm -hmm. I said, I have nothing to tell him. I, I, I don't know anything that I could tell him. And that's when I met who I call my second disruptor. I was walking around in the mall and an army recruiter by the name of Corey Oliver walked up to me and said, hey, young man, have you ever thought about going to the military? And in that moment, I looked Corey in the eye and I said, yeah, man, come on. Now, if you know anything about my neighborhood, men in my neighborhood, they don't go to the, the army. They don't go to the military. So right. Corey was taken aback. Uh -huh. I re I'll never forget. He looked at me in like a, a shock, a daze. And I remember him calling his station commander and I could hear him over the phone. He says, hey, I think I got somebody that wants to join. And I remember his station commander saying, well, bring him in, dummy, you know? <laughs> and so I, that's when I met my third disruptor. And, and Dr. D, this is when my life really started to transform. My third disruptor was a sergeant major by the name of Walter Babs. And when I got to, the when I got to my first duty station, um, I was in 8,000 miles away from California, 8,000 miles away from Compton physically, mm -hmm. but mentally, I was still that kid on the block. Okay. I was still that kid on the block. If you looked at me a certain way, that meant it was time to fight. <laughs> if you said something to me the wrong way, that meant it was time to fight. And so here I am in Germany, a whole different culture. Now I'm even surrounded by people, not just uh, from the United States, but from every you know, walk of life, every you know, multiple countries. And I end up getting into a fight and um, I hurt this kid pretty bad. And so they, they were ready to kick me out the military uh, my first six months in. But this Sergeant Major, who was an African-American man, Vietnam veteran, he called me into his office. And similar to what that judge told me, he says, you're getting ready to mess up your life, man. Mm. I read your record. You're from Compton, man. If I kick you out, where are you going back to Compton? Where are you going to end up? Back in jail? Where are you going to end up? Dead? Mm. He says, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm not going to kick you out. I'm going to let you come work directly with me and I'm gonna teach you how to be a soldier. And sure enough, he took me under his wing and every day he would challenge me and he began to ask me things like, where do you see yourself in five years? He, he began to help me cast a vision for myself. No one had ever asked me that question before. Everyone had always told me that you're not gonna even make it to 18, you're gonna die. So I had never thought about what a 20 year old will look like, what a 25 year old will look like, what a 30 year old will look like. I never thought about having a family or anything like that. And here this Sergeant Major was, he was taking me step by step, teaching me how to set goals and teaching me how to set a standard for my life. And when he asked me that question, he says, listen, this weekend, I want you to go and write down 
where you see yourself in five years. And that weekend I went, I went home and I was sitting in my barracks room and I began to write and I said, at that time, I just wanna be the best soldier I can be. And I wrote down, I wanna get my college degree. Okay. I went back to him on that Monday and I showed him my list. He says, okay, I can help you do that. I can help you become the best soldier you can be. And the army has a, a, a plan where you can uh, go to college. So I'm gonna help you get your degree. I wanna go back to you, the term genius potential. Okay. Um, you said that you found that, you found, how, how can I say that? You discovered that through the word of God, yes, that we all have genius potential. Yeah. So I'll and, take you back. Let's yeah, go back so a little bit. So take me back to how you yeah. discovered that, and then how can uh, someone, how can we, other people, discover their genius yeah. potential? So number one, I, I believe the, you got to believe that there's a higher power out there that's created you and created you for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And I was praying one day, which is my practice. I was praying one day, and I was talking to God, and I said, God, listen, I don't know what it is that you want me to do. Um, if it's to stay in the military, fine. If it's whatever it is, but whatever it is, I just don't want to be average at it. I want to be great. And as I was praying, um, I came back from praying. And after I pray, I always read my Bible. Mm -hmm. And as I was reading my Bible, I got led to a scripture over in Corinthians uh, chapter seven. It was the apostle Paul. And he was saying, I wish that every man would be like me, but I realized that every man has their own proper gift. Every mm -hmm. man has their own proper gift. And uh, I'm a real word person. Certain words stick out to me. So when I read that word gift, I pulled out my uh, uh, concordance. I pulled out my dictionary and I began to really study that word gift. And I came across the word genius. It was a synonym for the word gift. Mm -hmm. And as I began to research that word genius, what I began to find out was it wasn't this mystical thing that only a certain group of people had, Aristotle, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, uh, um, uh, Plato, Socrates, or Euripides. It wasn't just a certain group of people. What I found out was that each and every one of us, each and every one of us that are born has genius potential. And then I started reading the science behind it. The science even tells us that every child that is born comes to this world with a sense of genius on them. Unfortunately, what happens to many children is the same thing that happened to me. It begins to get suppressed. Mm. Give you a prime example. Um, let's take a little kid that is always jumping off the couch and, and, and jumping off the bed. Well, what is most parents gonna tell that child? Stop jumping, jumping. you're gonna hurt that's yourself. Right. Get off that furniture. But how do you not know if that's the next gym, gold medal gymnastic child? That's right. But what did you do? You sequestered that potential. Once again, with me, I was a communicator. My genius is communication. Mm -hmm. But they told me to shut up. That's right. Right? And so most of the times what happens, Dr. D, um, a lot of the genius is, is not what I call external genius, meaning that is easily seen. Like okay. we can see somebody that can sing. Mm -hmm. We can see somebody that can paint. We can see somebody that's smart in science or mathematics. We can easily see that. But what about the person who has the genius of service? Okay. 
How about the, the, the genius of laughter, a comedian, right? Mm -hmm. I can imagine if you're a comedian, you're, you're probably dubbed as what? The class clown. clown. I can Stop disrupt. Yeah. Exactly. Stop <laughs> disrupting the class. Uh -huh. Instead of them saying, you know, uh, one comedian I heard he, him tell this story, and I think it was Kevin Hart. I, I, I can't, but it was a comedian I heard, and he was the class clown. And his teacher came to him and said, listen, okay, let's make a deal. If you would stop making everybody laugh during class, at the end of class for five minutes, I'll give you some space. Wow. I'll give you some space. She was able to recognize that genius in that kid. And so mm -hmm. to answer your question, I would challenge anybody that's listening to us, if you haven't discovered what your genius is, and let me give you the definition of genius. The definition, dictionary definition is a natural talent, a natural talent. Each of us have a natural something, a natural talent that we have. For some of you, it may be the genius of organization, like you just like to organize. Now, that doesn't seem out front like, this is something I can make a living doing, organizing. Mm -hmm. wow. But if you look, that that is a occupation mm -hmm. where you can go into people's homes, you can go into people's office and organize for them. But growing up, there's no classes on that. There, there's no degree in that. So it could be overlooked. And so for anybody listening to us, Go back and start asking yourself, what really makes me come alive? What mm -hmm. do I really enjoy doing? Don't think about first, well, I can't earn money doing this or I can't monetize this. Just ask yourself, what do I honestly love doing? What puts a smile on my face? If you woke me up at three o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, I would have no problem doing this. What is that thing? And once you find that thing and identify it, you start to then work on it. You know, with me in communication, yes, it's a natural gift of mine, but just like LeBron James has a natural athletic ability, but he still has to work on it. That's the same thing with my genius. I still have to work on it. So I still work on communication. How do I do that? I read, I study words. I, I do things like this, this interview here to help me enunciate words, to help me bring about thoughts. I think about something and say, let me see how I can articulate this. After this, I'll go back and say, Will, you, you could have said this story a little bit more. Hey, you, 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 you stayed on that story a little bit too long there. And I'm always trying to refine, how can you shorten it up and things like that? Wow, what a great conversation with Dr. Will. And yes, we all need disruptors in our lives, especially when we are on the wrong road. And he told us that we all have a genius potential that's on the inside of us. Now let's go to our second episode. Now in this episode, I have a conversation with a husband and a wife, doctors Victor and Sorelda Herbin. They were retired military officers, but they talk about being in the military, being married, yet being deployed to foreign soil, Iraq, uh, Kuwait, fighting for their country, yet trying to have a successful marriage. So in this episode, they give us some uh, lessons about marriage, successes, and failures. So our title 
this lesson, Maximize Military, Maximize Marriage, with Doctors Victor and Sorelda Herbin. Take two. Go ahead. So let me ask this, because I was going to ask you to give us, uh, and for each of you to give us one lesson that we need to know, uh, because you said that each of you wrote nine chapters apiece. Yes. And um, I would like for each of you to give us one lesson from one of the chapters you wrote that we should know. One, one lesson from one chapter that each of you wrote that we should know. Um, marriage is a perfect union between okay. two imperfect people. Okay. And I think if we realize that early on, we will, um, in marriage, in any marriage in general, we will have less issues because we have an understanding that we are different. Mm -hmm. And there is no intent for me to try and change you. And there should not be an intent for you to change me. And, you know, just thinking about in some of the things that we went through, lies, distrust, infidelity, all of those things, when you compound that on top of what I just said, marriage is a perfect union between two imperfect people, and then you bring that stuff on top of it, your mm -hmm. trust is compromised. You know, and, and the, the last point that I would make is, if you choose to stay mm -hmm. after all of that, you don't have an option not to trust. Gotcha, yeah. If you stay, you have to trust. If you don't want to trust, then you don't need to stay. So that's my little piece. Dr. Vic? Uh, I would say uh, protecting your garden of okay. Eden from the serpents. Um, okay. you know, we all look at uh, the fall of man and say, well, why did Eve take the doggone apple? Well, then why did Adam eat it? He had a choice, you know, but okay, got it. It happened. But guess what? Each one of us, our marriage, I look at that as our garden of Eden. That is our paradise. That is our place of refuge. That is our safety spot. That is our place of love. That is our place for rebirth. Yet, it's still going to be under attack. And mm -hmm. I look at everything that she just laid, labeled out as a serpent. Okay. There's serpents that we're all going to encounter in this journey. Mm -hmm. Day one of your marriage to day 73. There are going to be serpents. How are you protecting your garden from that serpent? When it does come at you, you know, have you all built in a, a protection measure of forgiveness? Have you put in a protective measure of love? Have you protected measure of, you know, security and safety, stability, loving, all those kind of things to protect it? Because regardless how, again, how many years you've been married, those serpents are coming. Some of those serpents will, uh, using the military term, they will flank you and they will expose your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And when it happens, you don't give up. Mm -hmm. You refortify your defenses and say, okay, got it. Let's go again. Okay. And I think that's something that I think when a lot of people get married, <laughs> they go into this fictitious, oh my gosh, I love you. I love you. And this is going to be so wonderful. This, the euphoria you have when you walk down the aisle is supposed to exist the whole 30, 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. nah, no, <laughs> no gift registry items in, <laughs> and then you start looking at that cake is done. No, uh -huh. it's time for business. Sure. And I think learning now how to insulate and build upon those moments and say, okay, look, do we have, do we, are we protected enough for when uh, someone comes look at you and they, they tempt you or when you don't know how to manage your money right. And now mm -hmm. you take your money from our account or that you don't know that you don't feel comfortable protecting the children or watching the children, whatever those serpents are mm -hmm. that can pose a threat to your garden and you guys having a safe, healthy marriage. That is something I believe is one of the most important things because uh, through Christ, everything's possible. And if you don't protect it, uh, you just gave more room for the devil to come through. 
you both said that um, you each wrote nine chapters to the of the eighteen. Um, but you also said that you didn't see what the other person wrote to just prior to the book launch. Is that correct? Correct. So being that you didn't see what the other person was writing until it was ready for print, if not printed already, tell us one thing that you learned from reading the other person's chapter, at least one thing from reading the other person's uh, chapter, you know, that you didn't know, but it was a learning experience or you, something that you, you, you recently discovered because they put it in the book. Um, I think what I have learned and what has been confirmed is that we truly are different. Okay. And that he is not as antagonistic as I thought he was. Okay. Uh, he is a debater. I am not, I don't like to debate. If, uh -huh. if we're talking about this bottle right here, this bottle is clear, period. That's it. He would say, well, you know, they made this plastic. I, I don't care. I, the bottle is clear. Is this bottle clear, Victor? I mean, really, you got blue on there. The bottle is clear. So for me, I think um, one of the things that I, you know, that was confirmed for me is that we are different. It's okay that we're different. We see things differently, but there still has to be resolution in the end. Uh, I learned. <laughs> what <are> you <laughs> well, what is all that for? <laughs> all the time? I what could, is that? I could go many directions. On <laughs> oh, you wise one. What are you about to say? <laughs> what I learned when I read her, uh -huh. uh, you know, I, I kind of said, dang, that made for some bad dude. But when I look at it, I, you know, I, I recognize that she's no different than she was when I met her. Not, not in a bad way that I know over the years that, you know, I used to get frustrated. I still do at times. Like, you don't laugh. You, I'm the silly one. Let's go. Why don't you want to talk? We sit there and be like, man, I'm, you know, but I know I pee. I realized that I got the energy. I'm that one. I'm the super extrovert. And then after I finally get it all out, I'm like, all right, I'm good. Let me go just be in my corner. Mm -hmm. But when I read the chapter, I'm like, dang, dog, you know, in the beginning, you said, She's quiet, <laughs> she's this, she's that. And for some odd reason, you were drawn to that energy. Okay. So why would you think after 18 years when she's still quiet, <laughs> she's still not gonna laugh, all those things that things change. Right. And then to reading her, her stuff and how she may perceive me at that time, I'm glad she said she thought I was not as antagonist. I'm not, I'm just I'm just that. You don't have to do. confirm or deny. That's my piece. Don't be trying to I, take uh, my stuff. So it's just, so that was a, that was a thing, just that, you know, she is, she's who she is. Mm -hmm. uh, and that I loved her for that then. Why would that change now? And right. the same uh, passion she has for uh, life and love is still there. It's this, you know, and it's articulated because I trust man, you seem like you're going raw. I felt all that emotion in uh -huh. your stuff. Uh -huh. Is that she loved that much for her family? She loved that much for me and the success of our marriage. And but what she envisioned moving in, starting this life based off of what her experience and my experience is like. This doesn't measure up to what I imagine a marriage supposed to be like. This dude's supposed to. He was my Superman. He had all this stuff, but he ain't nothing right now. What's all this? And this seemed to me is the realization that yes, I, we all said I do, but as the Jahari's window gets open and we start showing our true self, so like, okay, but now we both got to understand, all right, this is no longer the facade. Mm -hmm. So how do we adjust to that? So more when I read it, it was more me watching her 
revelation of this dude that had all this criteria from his mom and dad being married. He's the military, but he's the preacher kid, all this stuff. And her, not necessarily expectation gets set down. It's just like rewriting what she thought marriage was going to be like. And then the reality of what marriage is. Okay. And then the hope and expectation, what it means to love unconditionally. Wow. What a great conversation with the Herbins. And there were a lot of lessons in there that, you know, each and every one of us can take, whether you're married, whether you're single, you're in a relationship, you're not in a relationship. Um, there were some important lessons that they gave each and every one of us that we can take. So I want to thank everyone for listening and we'll see you next week on the next episode. Take care. Now, if you want to continue to hear inspiring interviews like the one you heard today, I want you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Also, rate the show and please leave a comment. I would also love it if you would share this podcast with your friends to let them know that we're on. Finally, please go to our website at www.beyondtheculturepodcast.com or you can email me at beyondtheculturepodcast at gmail.com. On the website, you can subscribe to the show and connect with me by leaving your email address. I'd love to hear from you. This is your host, Dr. David Walker, and we'll talk again on Beyond the Culture. Take care.